Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Nantwistle Community Church. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lee. I'm the pastoral apprentice, among other things here uh, at Antwistle Community Church, and I have the privilege of preaching today. And learning to preach has been a really unique experience for me so far, but I'll confess that it's an experience that I can often be very anxious of as well. I think a big part of it is that my, in my time here, I have come to really care for this church family. So seeing you as a family as I am preaching means a lot more than me just trying to engage a bunch of people for a half hour. It's a chance that uh, I, as a brother of yours in Christ, can uh, address a very diverse congregation of people that, like me, have their own troubles, struggles, trials, and are in a unique place in their walk with God. And this perspective makes this experience very relational, though. Because of the care I have for this church, I ask myself a lot of questions about the effects that the sermon will have on the congregation and on my relationship with those in it. And so it is that when I write my sermons, and even during preaching them, even at this moment, I wonder how it will affect my brothers and sisters in Christ and those they interact with and the community around us. And I'm sharing this because today we get to talk about our relations uh, with others. The fact that we get to start actively t uh, taking an active look at the relationships that we have in our lives. And our relationships with others are an integral part of us, right? The work we do is often dictated by our relationships with our boss, our coworkers, our business partners, our family, whether it is a significant other, our kids or relatives, often dictate the pattern of our life. And our relationships include everyone from our genuine ones, such as our closest family, to our super, superficial ones, just as, such as a moment that you interact with a store clerk as you're buying groceries, right? They're, all relationships that we have. The trouble is that even while I make mention of relationships, I'm sure that for quite a few of us, disappointing memories from relationships went through our minds. See, we don't usually have to look far to find the last bad interaction with a person we had. Whether someone hurt us or we hurt them, and this comes from the fact that as a fallen people, we have to contend with the presence of sin in our lives. And if sin is present in all our lives, it's easy to see how it seeps into our relationships with others. Most people have really bad relational memories that have often stuck with them and affected them for years. For instance, when I was in elementary school, I think about grade four or so, there was a classmate of mine that I was a game, in a game outside with, and I think I made a joke about him, and he told me that I needed to be quiet or he would beat me up. And under my breath, I said, well, I can beat you up. And then he came over and grabbed me, and he pushed me into the snow, and he shoved my head in it, and it was a simple interaction that happened years ago when I was very young, but even about 10 years after that, when I was doing things like 
martial arts and trying to build myself up physically and such, I would often think of this classmate. And I often think if, what would happen if he could see me now? Or it would go differently if I saw him now or I won't get bullied again like that. And I was thinking that while I was 20 from an interaction I had when I was in grade four. And this interaction with it staying with me was a contributing factor into me uh, me trying to, in a physical manner, be bigger and badder than the next guy. And that should have been a small or long-forgotten interaction, yet for years it fueled a part of my arrogance and a desperation I had to be respected or to feel in control. And this, this misplaced want for respect got me in a lot of trouble, even passively while taking the Edmonton transit system. A lady came up to me and basically, in very colorful language, said, what was, like, what's your problem with everyone? Because I guess I had basically just been death glaring everyone who walked past. And while I was walking in downtown Edmonton, a fellow came up to me after I had just seen him and was walking toward him, and he said, you know what your look tells me? It tells me that you think you're better than the rest of us. And for that guy, in that moment, I just thought, jeez, I just looked at him. What is this guy's problem? But in reality, he was right. I had passively been trying to give an impression or a facade to everyone that I passed that said I'm bigger, I should be respected, I am in control. And so a single, seemingly small memory of an interaction with a classmate in grade four was part of a driving force behind me turning into a person that was even passively arrogant and judgmental. And of course, there were more interactions uh, uh, that were unhealthy of me being bullied, bullied and such that pushed me in that direction. But it's easy to see how a sinful interaction helped drive a sinful desire that caused me to act sinfully to others. The rough part is that my public transportation and sidewalk interactions I could have been to those people what that grade four classmate was to me. I had just passed on the relational trauma or hurt I had experienced in my life to another person. Such a small negative interaction had such a relationally damaging long-lasting and far-reaching effect. So what happens to us then when it is not small? What happens when it's huge? Like when a significant other leaves or a family member breaks contact with us for good or we find a long-time friend has been speaking poorly of us for years, or you've been fired and your coworkers you trusted encouraged it, or you grew up with parents that weren't present, and there's so many more experiences that exist for us like this. But the hurtful effects can be horridly damaging, 
last as long as we live and even be felt generations after we have passed on. The Bible even speaks of generational sin, the fact that the sins of the parents influence those that follow them. But I want you to think for a moment of the complete opposite. What would an existence without present, without sin present in your relationships with others in your life look like? How incredible would that be? Imagine if you hadn't been hurt. Imagine if you weren't made fun of. Imagine if you weren't used or abused. Imagine if all those harmful, judgmental, or passive comments and looks weren't given to you. Imagine if you were constantly at peace with others. Imagine if all those negative interactions were replaced with healthy ones and its effects were just as deep and far-reaching, but positively so. Our world would look completely different than it does now. Our lives would be something else entirely. And so instead of betrayal, imagine being met with trust. Instead of being mocked, imagine being encouraged. Instead of being bullied, you were taken care of. Instead of harm coming to you, it was help. It is an incredible picture of our minds, and it shows us God's original intention for our relationship with others. In fact, near the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, God made Adam the first human being, and soon after his creation, God says in verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And helper can also be translated as partner. And among all of what existed so far, all the animals and such that had been created, nothing fulfilled that role but another person. And so in verse 21 to 24, God creates Eve. The scripture reads, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. God's original intentions for us included no sin. Instead, our relationships were close companionship and help, someone to work and live alongside and walk through this world together with. We started unified at peace and treasuring one another. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You can hear the excitement and genuine care he had and that love that was so prevalent. 
It's no surprise to us then that when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, he agreed that it was love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus agreed that next to our relationship with God was our relationship with the community around us. He reaffirmed the importance of godly relationships with others. So the question I have then, and I'd like us to contemplate, is why can we be so bad at following this aspect of God's calling for our lives? We can see the depth of impact we have on those around us and God's original intentions for our relationships with others, yet people who follow Christ or claim to follow him have often been associated or we have witnessed uh, be a part of very bad or unhealthy actions. Just recently in our world in the news, the brutal truth of what took place in residential schools has come to light. That nuns and priests, people saying that they were doing God's work, subjected a ton of Aboriginal children to awful mistreatment. Many children were beaten, assaulted, and killed. Now that's a blaring example, but I've also talked to many people, uh, even in this church, that have come from lives where they experienced a, a, a dying church, where people were set in some misplaced tradition, perhaps. And rather than changing what they were doing to follow God's calling, they continued in a direction that was harmful to them, their church, and the community around them. Or it was when people have gotten so comfortable with the people currently in their church that the walls, uh, that they put up walls to anyone else trying to join that community. It's a sad day when a person comes into the church for the first time and they feel as though they are being pushed out. It's when we have forgotten when Jesus says in Mark 2.17 that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Even the splitting of churches and the polarization of people over biblical perspectives or political views is another example. Just look at the conflict that has come up in the body of believers because of the current vaccination and health guidelines. Even in our lives, we can see the times that we have acted poorly. When I asked you about times that you had been hurt in relationships, it wasn't just that you have been hurt, but that we have hurt other people. How often is it that in conflict or disagreement that our first reaction is to attack the person back or try to justify ourselves through deceit or try to explain away the choices that we've made rather than admitting being wrong. It's so easy for us out of personal pride, insecurity or wanting to be right that we do so at the, uh, at the expense of others. In the Bible, these bad interactions from people that are supposed to be following God happens right away too. 
that caring statement that Adam told Eve, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, that showed the treasuring he had for another human. Just 12 verses later, he's blaming her for encouraging him to eat an apple God had told them not to, which was the fall of humanity, even though he could have just said no. Adam and Eve later had two children, Cain and Abel, and out of jealousy, Cain killed Abel. And these are the children of the first humans, and one murders the other. And the Old Testament story continues of God's people repeatedly acting poorly to the people around them. And it makes for a convoluted story of people continually failing each other and continually failing God throughout it. I want to take a quick look at the book of Judges, which it's just a pool of horrible relationships that existed within the Israelite people. In Judges 19 to 21, a Levite's concubine is grossly assaulted in the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. And because of this, the Israelites get mad and this tribe of, uh, and war breaks out, almost all of Israel comes against the tribe of Benjamin, and they are almost completely wiped out. There's just a few hundred men left. The rest of the Israelites say that they are basically sad and scared, that they almost wiped out one of the tribes of Israel. So you know what their solution was? They said, oh, we should get them wives, so that this family can continue its family lines. But all of the men who battled them made an oath not to give them any women from their tribes in marriage. So what do they do? They said, oh, this other tribe in Jabbath Gilead didn't muster men to fight with us when we asked them to against the Benjaminites. And so Let's go kill all of the men, married women, and children. But we will take the unmarried young women and give them to the tribe of Benjamin. And they did that. There weren't quite enough women. They didn't get enough. So the Israel leaders said, oh, well, because of our oath... We cannot, give them any, we cannot give them any of our women, but we know of a festival that takes place where many of the, uh, the women from another tribe come out and dance. So we can just send the Benjaminites to just go and take one. And they take them home to be their wives. They go and abduct those ladies. And... and This is how the book of Judges ends. The last verse says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Talk about convoluted relationships. In just three chapters of Judges, there's assault, murder, deception, mistrust, arrogance, foolishness, war, and much more. The reality is is that from the very beginning of the creation of the world and the fall, and throughout history, when people started making ungodly decisions, when they started making decisions apart from God in their relationship with others, the result 
is the sort of relational hurt that all of us have experienced to one degree or another. So what can we do then? How do we bring restoration to the brokenness in our relationships? Well, we know that decisions made apart from God result in sin. And that Jesus said in Luke 10, 17, that the most important commandment was to love God completely and then love your neighbor as yourself. So we need to look at our relationships our relationship with Christ. When we invest into Christ, when we invest into our God, part of what happens is that we come to understand and learn our self-worth. We learn that God loves us and knows us so deeply that we are beautifully and wonderfully made, that we are made in his image, that he knit us in our mother's womb and that he even knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows more about us than anybody else ever will. And we realize that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. Bearing our sins and that he called us to be in relationship with him and to be as close to him as we can be. And so when the scripture said, love your neighbor as yourself, when we learn about our self-worth with God, we learn to see the worth that others have before God. This gives us a very good indication of how to act in our relationships with others and bring restoration to our relationships with others. It is by inserting Christ into the relationship and having him lead you in that relationship. It is being uh, led by God and not sin. And the New Testament gives us a whole bunch of great content on how to treat one another properly, how to follow through with inserting God into our relationships in a variety of circumstances. And there's actually a bunch of verses commonly called the one another sayings or the one another commands. And these verses all give us guidance on how we should be acting in our interpersonal relationships They look like and sound like, uphold one another, encourage one another, love one another. And there is a list of a hundred of these in the New Testament. And that is besides all of the relational direction God gives us in the Old Testament by showing us examples of what not to do. So I'd encourage you to look into those and and. And really read into those when you go home this week. Take time to look into the one another passages and verses and see how God wants you to treat the people around you in the circumstances you're in. But one thing, though, that's really interesting that I read is that the, the, these one another commandments actually 
uh, have places of focus. It's not just about our interactions with people, but about uh, a third of these direct Christians in their uh, relationship with the church and getting along. Another third direct Christians to love each other, and about 15% of them stress an attitude of humility among believers. So we need to identify where we are in our relationships, physically, mentally, and spiritually, with our community and our church, and bring Christ's into those relationships, and in turn, bring restoration to those relationships. We need to look at our past relationships, our current relations, and, and our current relationships, and ask, what can we do, Lord, to restore them? And we want to pray that we are set to restore and bring healthiness to the future relationships that we have. And one might ask, how far do we go in this? What, uh, what length do we go to to draw, try and bring peace to our relationships, to try and bring God into those relationships? In Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Jesus even goes as far as to say in Matthew 5, 23 to 24, therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift we will be able to know God more deeply and to experience him more deeply when we are at peace in the relationships we have around us. And even if and when it happens that, other people do not accept or want that love, that direction from God and that peace, we will still go as far as we can in trying to restore our relationships as far as it depends on us. Now as we're talking about community and uh, the fact that we are very focused on the missions of the church and the church itself focuses uh, focuses a lot of its time and resources on the missionaries that we have, we need to ourselves be recognizing the calling we have to be a missional church. To be missional in how we interact with those in our families, those who are our friends and those in our communities around us, knowing the drastic effect that it can have, knowing the beautiful picture that God paints for us, in what restoration with others and peace with others looks like. Let's pray. Lord, our interactions with others are such a huge part of our lives. 
Lord, our, the way that we speak and talk and uh, portray ourselves and act toward other people's, Lord, will reflect you or not. We will be led by sin or led by you. And the differences of effect, Lord, is, can be severe harm or severe healing. We're so thankful, Lord, for the healing that you've given us and bringing us into a relationship with you, Lord. And we just pray that we then pass on the love of that relationship you have for us to our neighbors, to our communities, to those around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.